Welcome to the Crossroad International Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Well, today we're beginning our series uh, in the book of Romans. This is, um, this is the, the money book of the Bible, if you will, meaning not it doesn't talk about money, but this is foundational to the Christian walk and to the Christian faith. And if, uh, if you know Jesus or you're looking for Jesus, you're in the right place because this, uh, the next nine weeks we're going to be going through this book uh, and it really covers the, what we would say, some of the pillars of what Christianity is all about. So I'm really thankful that you're all here today. And I pray that you've, we've come to uh, expecting to, to learn something. I know many of us have probably uh, been in Romans, spent time in Romans. But uh, I trust that God will reveal some things to you and, and hopefully uh, just speak to you today. So if you would, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to the book of Romans. Our series, again, is called Everybody Needs Grace. Everybody Needs Grace. And how many are thankful for grace here today? Because, yeah, we all need it. Some of us more than others, maybe. But uh, we do need it, and, and it is available, and we are thankful for it. So as we start into this series today, before I get into the kind of the, the meat of the message, I do want to do just a little bit of background on what Romans is all about, just to give you some context and some of the setting. <clears throat> So the interesting thing is that the Protestant Reformation began as a result of the epistle to the Romans. A Roman Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther found uh, related to what was being said and what was being expressed in this book, the wrestling that Paul was doing and some of the things he brought out, Martin Luther related to, and eventually it what spurred him into to, to going and, and accomplishing all that he did in the Protestant Reformation. Again, Romans is written by Paul and is around 57 to 58 AD. Romans is a letter that is to a specific church for a specific purpose. Now, if you've been hanging out in our church here for a few weeks, um, you may have come to understand or recognize that we are very concerned about taking things in context. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. Uh, we don't just wield scripture like a magic wand. We want to understand it what was being said, who it was being said to. Uh, so we do want to spend some time and, and to understand that. Again, Romans, again, was written to the church in Rome, all right, ahead of Paul's arrival. And uh, the church in Rome really was an amazing story because it had been birthed from the day of Pentecost. All right, there were Jews that were in Jerusalem and also some Gentiles as well. And in Acts 2, 10 through 11, it says visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, were present in the crowd when Peter preached his message. Does everybody, does people remember that? I'm going to make you turn there if you don't nod. Okay, so remember that, Peter, this amazing day, thousands of people came to Christ that day, but then all these people returned to their homes, the, the Romans included, went to their homes, and this church was birthed out of this great, uh, this, the, the day of Pentecost. 
and it was an amazing thing. And uh, what's, what's neat about Romans is that it's addressing both halves of society, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles or the Greek, however you want to say it. So basically, it's all-inclusive. There are some books of the Bible that were written with the Jew in mind. There are some books of the Bible that are written with uh, the, the Gentile in mind as an audience. But Romans, what's great about it is it, it's all-inclusive. Okay, so we will find ourselves somewhere in, in the book of Romans. Its purpose was basically that Paul was preparing the church in Rome to become co-laborers with him, and so he needed to lay some groundwork. All right, what do I mean by that? You see, up until uh, the day of Pentecost, oh, actually until, sorry, let me back up, until Christ, when Christ died on the cross and the veil was rent, right, in two, meaning now the holy, most holy place was accessible to everybody. That no longer, before, see, everybody had to travel to Jerusalem to worship God, okay? They would go there for the festivals. They were there for the day of Pentecost. They were there for their, their they had to go to Jerusalem. They had to go to a place. And the amazing thing that happened is now the tables had turned to where it's not like a, where everybody's converging. Now everybody's supposed to go out. And so what Paul's intention was, was to build um, if you want to call them outposts, if you will, or, or to, to keep reaching out. And really, what is the Great Commission, right? Jesus tells us he, he started with the local, you know, city, and then he, he kept going out further, further till, unto the ends of the earth, correct? And so that's the idea now is that now instead of coming inward, now it's going outward. And so Paul is all about getting the, the church in Rome because this is a city. Let me just say something else, too. Uh, here, I mean, Kuwait's so small, it's, it's all, we're, we, we can affect it all. But especially when you, go, when you come from other places and things, cities are, are, are just so important because they influence everything. They, they set the tone for whether it's laws or things like that. It starts in the city and then it goes out. I mean, if I have this huge church doing great things in some rural place, it's good, but how it's not really affecting culture, so to speak. It's sort of downriver. So the bigger the city, it kind of keeps moving you upriver. So, you know, if I dump something in at the front, the top of the river, or the start of the river, it's going to flow down, right, and affect everything. And so getting upstream is very important. It's very important to Paul to see God move in Rome to establish the church there. Paul summarizes who he is in chapter 1. And I, I wanted just to kind of share this for a moment with you when we're talking about the purpose. The Holman New Testament commentary says this about Paul. He said, these are three things I'm committed to. This is what Paul's saying. He said, first, my calling from God. Okay, my calling from God. My ministry is not my idea. All right, Paul did not just wake up one morning and say, hmm, I think I'll be a Christian now and go and preach and things like that. How many know that he had a very dramatic experience in a conversion. I mean, he had been persecuting Christians. He had been killing Christians. And now all of a sudden, one day he encounters the living God, is knocked off his, his donkey, and has this great conversion experience, hears from God, and is called by God to proclaim the gospel. Okay? So he understands that he is called by God, not by himself. And he's establishing that with the Church of Rome. His second uh, purpose is that he, is, he wants to establish his concern for the people in Rome. He says, I believe God wants us to be partners in the gospel. 
All right, he loves these people. If you read any of Paul's letters, he always opens up and he's, he loves the brothers and sisters in Christ of the faith, and he will do anything. You know, he longs, a lot of times he talks about longing to be with them. He wishes he could be there sooner as he writes to Rome. So he has a love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And the third thing is his understanding of the gospel. It is the only thing that can save the world. And what I want to ask you right now at this point is what would happen if we made these our priorities in our life? What would our life look like? Do you know what your calling is? Not everybody's called to stand up behind this pulpit. I'm not talking about that. What are, you, what are you called to do? And are you fulfilling it? If you don't know the answer to that question, that is a big starting point for you. That is a great place to start in your prayer time with God. God, what have you called me to do? What is my purpose on this earth? Because if you, if you can figure that out, if you get an answer to that, then everything else sort of falls into place. Everything else makes sense if you know what your calling is. What are you called to do? The second thing, are you loving the brothers and the sis- your brothers and sisters in Christ? This body here, but also around the world. Are you showing love to one another? Are you, are you partnering in, in spreading the gospel? And the last one, and maybe could be most important, maybe they're all equal, but the understanding of the gospel. And I love that line. It is the only thing that can save the world. Listen, you can, you can, we could serve Starbucks to everybody every week to get people in here. And we would pack, we probably would pack out, imagine if we served a whole meal, right? We could pack out this place because everybody loves food. We can do things, you can say things, you can be the most eloquent speaker, but it does not compare to just what is the gospel message and sharing that gospel message, sharing the good news. And I was convicted of this. I mean, do we share the good news? Do we share the gospel with people? I'm not talking about preaching a sermon, but I'm talking about are we living a life and are we sharing with people the good news? You have been saved from death and hell. Shouldn't you be excited in sharing that good news with other people? The answer is yes in case there's any question. Yes, we should. And I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. We, we get comfortable, don't we? Or we get so tied up with our, you know, our jobs and, and making money, and, and, and that stuff has its place. Don't get me wrong, but we can't lose sight of what's important, and that's, that's sharing the gospel. The theme of Romans, all right? The theme of Romans, if you, I think on your handouts and your bulletins, you might have this, uh, or if you have a Bible, that's always a great place to go too. Uh, Romans 1, 16 through 17, <clears throat> and uh, in the New Living Translation I'll be using, says this. Let me get my Bible. I need to get a new, <laughs> this is like my tiny little New Living Translation. Um, hopefully I can see the words here. If I'm wrong, let me know. It says uh, in Romans 1, 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, again, Romans is a big book. It's theologically just jam-packed with a lot of rich 
uh, truths and things that we can pull from it. But we have to keep this in focus as the theme of Romans. And, and just to break that down a little bit, uh, he opens that, that verse in, in verse 16. He says, for, okay? When you see for, we need to, he's, he's, he's making a statement. He's springboarding off of something else, right? So if we go back to verse 15, it says, so I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. Paul is eager. That means he's excited to come there and preach. And, and then you, you springboard in, for I am not ashamed. Notice he says, I am not ashamed. Notice he says, I am not, he's, he doesn't say I'm proud to share the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, the reason Paul is saying this is, see, Paul had come under a lot of criticism because you got to understand, and I, I caught myself doing this too. We don't, we think from our perspective, we have to switch gears to, listen, not too long before this, every Jews were it, right? You know, there were some Gentiles, but the Jews, they were under the law. This is a huge shift to, to this gospel of Jesus Christ and what grace is. I mean, there a lot of rewiring had to happen. And so Paul had been, had been, because uh, he was a Jew. I mean, he was a model Jew. You read about it. And Paul was, he, he could out do everybody when it came to Jews. And now all of a sudden he's preaching this gospel where, yeah, the law, you're not under the law anymore. Ugh. As a Jew, that's like, what, what purpose do I have in life now? You know, that was our kind of our ticket into the club. Imagine, you know, uh, going to the Corniche, okay? And you got your cool little card and stuff. And I don't have a membership there. And what if I rolled up and say, hey, what's up? I'm like, hey, you're a member here? No, no, I'm just walking in. You didn't have to sign on to do all this stuff? No, I'm just, I'm just hanging out here. I mean, think how you'd feel and think what the club would look like. I mean, you'd probably see a lot more people there, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, this is what grace was. Now, your card and stuff, that fancy little thing and your special club membership doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, there's, there's a purpose for it. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to say there are some things in the law that we can still draw from. But the reality is now grace had opened the door, yeah. right? And so the Jews were not okay with this, a lot of them. So the, so the thing to remember here, and this is, I, you hear this sometimes, the theme in Romans is not the righteousness of God, okay? Now, if you thought that was it, just give me a moment before you throw anything. He said, listen, but instead it is the gospel. It is the gospel. The righteousness of God is only a component of the gospel. So in Romans, when we read Romans, you have to keep that in mind. You have to keep what it's all about, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Under the gospel, under the, the umbrella of the gospel, we have the righteousness of God. We have the reality of sin, the depravity of man, the means of salvation, law versus grace, flesh versus spirit, the sovereignty of God, Israel's place in God's redemptive plan, Christian liberty, and life and love in the body of Christ. Okay? So hopefully that caught everybody. Whatever you thought, it has to come back to the gospel. Wherever you're at in the Bible, it should always come back to the gospel. Yeah. Old Testament, all pointed to Jesus, the gospel. New Testament's all about the gospel, okay? Like I said before, that's kind of like your letter C on the test, right? Just mark C if you don't know, the gospel, all right? So if anybody ever asks you what the Bible's about, it's the gospel, okay? So, um, and, and one, one interesting note too as I was studying this is, in the book of Romans, Paul writes almost nothing about the church life itself, meaning, you know, 
like politics and, and, and structure and things like this. This is, this is foundational walk with God, you know, relationship with Jesus, the gospel kind of stuff. And so, we, we, again, we, let's just make sure we just, like, lock into this. What's Romans about? Good, good. Letter C. All right. So that's kind of some background on Romans. And um, so now we're going we're gonna to just take a look at Romans 1.1 1, 1 through 3.20. And I'm going to try not to use It's so hard because I can't. I'm giving you some things, but I can't kind of give you the finish because we're in a series. So I've got to stop. But I'll try not to leave too much of a cliffhanger for you. Or you could just read ahead yourself. So the, I titled this message um, something really deep. It's called Eeny, Meeny, Miny, and Mo. Um, on the, this, this Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo, if you don't know, let me just give you a little brief overview. This has resolved playground dilemmas all around the world. Because whenever you play a game, somebody's got to be it, right? And what do you do? Okay, eeny, meeny, mine, and moe. Catch a tiger, buy a stone, or whatever your version is. If he hollers, let him go, eeny, meeny, mine, and moe. But it, you know, then you get the hybrid where the people are really good, and if it, they land on them, and they're like, uh, but if the tiger lost a toe and miney mo you're it <laughs> i never like those people <laughs> but the reality is is eeny meeny miney mo in romans everybody ends up being it what do i mean everybody ends up being a sinner yeah. we're all it we're all guilty and we need to to remember that and so yeah, I love, I think Steve was smart here, giving, yeah, preach the message about everybody's a sinner. That's guaranteed to fill the offering box and clear the chairs. Um, but it's the reality of it, and we need to understand that. So I'm going to preach it, and hopefully nobody leaves. So here's the deal. So in Romans 1, we first, we see, and we need to, we need to know, like I said, there's two halves here. So both the Jew and the Gentile are judged by God. Both Jew and Gentile are judged by God. Okay? Uh, in 118, that first section in, in 118, it, it talks about, there's, there's, he deals with what's called ignorance, right? These people they, that want to say, you know, well, I didn't know God, there was a God. I didn't know God, who he was. And God's like, no, that's not going to cut it because all of creation points to me. Okay, all of creation points to me. And then it goes on, there's a section about worship. And so they go from their ignorant place to now, well, let's make some golden idols or some false gods out of, like, with animals and things like that. And we'll just do that because that's a whole lot easier than, you know, I can just put that on a shelf or put it in the closet if I need to, rather than a, a god that's actually in control of everything. And then it moves from there and, and they, they move to a place that there's, there's a sexual perversion that takes place, where they start, you know, using their bodies for things that aren't godly, and it continues to go outward uh, until it, it finishes. Sorry, uh, in in uh, participating in God-hating activities, all right, where they now they're not just they've they've defiled their bodies, and now they just are aggressively against God, all right, and none of that flies. None of that flies because there is a progression, and notice that it all starts in the heart, doesn't it? It all starts with this thinking that, you know, I mean, okay, God, it's, 
I don't know who God is or and you start they start it says they come up with their own ideas of who God is and they make these idols of what they think and, and it just spirals out of control and that's why this is so important just so you know this is what keeps us grounded this is what keeps us on track is the word of God and so we need to stay there so that we don't end up in that ditch God revealed himself through creation to the Gentiles and they had an opportunity to know him, but they refused to glorify him. All right? The Gentiles knew who God was through creation. In uh, Romans 1, 18 through 19, in the Holman Christian, it says like, like this, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Catch that. They suppress the truth. That means they don't want to know what the truth is. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, in our society today? They suppress the truth, and, and then it goes on to say, um, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. See, we look around today, and what do we see? We see people like, oh, man, just, could, God, could, could Jesus come back again? If I could just see, see that then I would believe, right? And God is saying, the reality is, is God has revealed himself. Not just with, I mean, he sent his son to the earth to die for our sins, but through all of creation. If you guys remember back a, a, a few months ago, we, I, I did a message about, you know, the planets. You remember that? The planets and the size and just how amazing. And the amazing thing is that the way the solar system looks, and then we looked at a, a slide of the human brain cell, and it was like, it looked exactly the same. It's like God's signature is through everything. It doesn't mean we worship those things. Don't misunderstand me. But everything points back to the creator, God. We don't have to look hard. It's all there. We just have to want to see it and want to discover that. Let's see, the Jews on the other side of it were fulfilling the law, but their hearts were hardened and cold. Okay, actions with no surrender of heart. You see, the Jews had it on the outside. They had the appearance. They knew the laws. They did the right things and everything else, but they had a heart that was hard, and it was not surrendered to God. You know, God talks, or uh, it's talked about in the Bible, you know, it's like you have the circumcision. You have the signs of being a follower of God, but you're not living from your heart. You're just checking the box every day and trying to find your salvation by doing all that's right. When doing what's right is good, but it needs to stem from a heart motive. All right? Is everybody tracking with me or understand? Romans 2, 5 through 6, it says it like this. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed he will judge everyone according to what they have done. The Jews had become judgmental. Not, again, now let me say, all, not all Jews, but the, a lot of the Jews had become judgmental. And we can learn from this uh, because we still have people in the church that are judgmental, don't we? Uh, I preached a message a few weeks back called Just Judgment. Um, it's available online if you want to check it out. Shameless plug to check out our website. But uh, you can listen to that. And, it's, and my point was that there is a place to judge. 
But whenever they talk about not judging, let me read from here, from chapter 2 in Romans. It says this, You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. All right? Well, Pastor Dell, didn't you say we, we, it's okay to judge? Well, listen to what he says. All right? It's the same, same exact thing as what we said. He says, For you who judge others do these very same things. Whenever you read about judgment being wrong, it's always followed because you are being hypocritical. And this is why there is a demand for holiness in the church and God's people. You see, God wants us to be holy. Not perfect. We can't be perfect on this side of heaven. But God is wanting us to move towards holiness by being obedient and listening and growing and letting him continue to shape and mold our heart. I, um, I had a, a poem here. I didn't write it. Um, I, I, somebody had read it a few years back, and I wanted to share it with you today. I don't know the author, so if you're here, I'm sorry. Um, but let me just read it for you and see if you relate to it. <clears throat> I get my poem reading face. So the, the title of the poem is called Saints Who've Never Been Caught. When some brother yields to temptation and breaks a conventional law, we look for no good in his makeup, but God, how we look at the flaw. No one will ask how tempted, nor allow for the battles he's fought. His name becomes food for the jackals, for we who've never been caught. He has sinned, we shout from the housetops. We forget all the good he's done. We focus on the one lost battle and forget all the times he has won. Come, gaze on this sinner, we thunder, and by his example be taught that his feet shall lead to destruction, cry we who've never been caught. I'm a sinner, O oh Lord, I know it. I'm weak, I blunder, I fail. I'm tossed on life's stormy ocean like a ship embroiled in a gale. I'm willing to trust in thy mercies to keep the commandments you taught, but deliver me, Lord, from the judgment of saints who have never been caught. I'm not sure which part you related to, but how true is that? And I'll speak for myself. I've been caught up in that too. We have a tendency to be that way, don't we? When somebody sins, how quick are we? to you know, extend that long bony finger of judgment when we ourselves have things in our own life that we're dealing with. And the interesting thing, you know, when Jesus spoke about, you know, we're talking about a speck in our brother's eye when we have a log in our own. He did say this, though. He said, remove the long log from your own eye, then help your brother with a speck. There is a time... That, that the right kind of judgment with the right motive is needed, but it needs to be done in a way that's, that's, that's caring for that person who's fallen. And you see, the, the reality is, is that the Jews were not, a lot of the Jews were not like that. They were, they were still clinging on that they are it and that there was no room for, for this, this movement of grace. The reality is, church, is that we are all sinners who have been found guilty. And I want to share, maybe you're in this room. I used to be uh, in churches with a teaching where if you, you were not supposed to say that I'm a sinner saved by grace. Why? Because 
I'm a royal priesthood, I'm a chosen generation, all that stuff, right? And on one hand, that's true, but, you know, I, I was thinking about this, and you think about some, you know, there's, there's a, like, let's take an athlete for an example. There's some athletes who are, the, they showboat, and they do all these things, and they, they just love the attention. But then I've, I've read stories about some, uh, some athletes that I follow, and I, it's interesting, the ones that are very humble, and a lot of them will go back to revert to their mother, and, and their mother always tells them this, or their father always tells them this, and maybe you, you can, you've heard this before, but they always say, don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget where you came from. Now, they, can, they go on, and they're, they're making, they're, they're successful. They're making money, or they're successful in their sport, or even business people and everything else, but the, the people that are the, the most humble, and they have it together, and they, they, they're right, are the people that don't forget where they've been brought from. You know, you read these stories about people that came from nothing, you know, and now are, are very successful. One person that comes to mind is Dr. Ben Carson, if you've heard of him, famous, world-famous neurosurgeon. It started from very, I believe he was raised by his, just his mother, uh, and very poor background, and now he's this world-renowned neurosurgeon, okay? And you, you hear him, people like him speak, and they always refer back to where they started because it, it really it, it keeps you grounded where you're at. And so when I say we're all sinners, yes, we celebrate the fact that we have salvation. And yes, we are a child of the living God and, you know, all the other stuff that goes with that. All right? We're a king's kid and everything else that we say. But do not forget where you come from. Do not forget where you come from. Romans 3, uh, the second part of 9 uh, through 20 it says this, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. And here it is. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law was never designed to be just the means to an end. It's designed to show us that we need a Savior. Okay? And that we need to have that in our perspective. Otherwise, we become religious. We become judgmental. And we lose sight of, of what's the most important thing. So as I, as I kind of wind things down here, I just want to give you a, a, two points of, for application. How do we, what do we do with this, this message of how bad we are? Okay. Um, number one, and I've already hit on it, but let me just say it again. Remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Some of us maybe grew up in a Christian home. We accepted Christ at a young age, perhaps. But others, you know, maybe that's not the case. And it's always interesting, too, the, the worse background, the further there are from God, 
when they get saved, I've seen some. I mean, they're like bouncing off the walls. You can't walk through like a store without stopping like at least with 10 people so they can talk to somebody telling them about Jesus. Why? Because they, they were saved from so much and they have a good understanding of where they came from. I, uh, I, I like it. That I've heard this explained once and I'll explain it to you. Has anybody ever heard of the term dog theology and cat theology? Great. I'm going to share it with you. So, do we have any dog owners in here? Are you, seriously? I have a dog. Nobody else has a dog. Are you serious? Oh, man. Okay. Praise, I'm going to pray for you guys. <laughs> How many have cats? Can we get a cat? Okay, so we got some cats. I can't stand cats. We have a dog and a cat, so, Yeah. My, my wife and my children have a dog and a cat. Okay. But anyway, so here's the, so dog theology, cat theology is like this. Has anybody, does anybody know a dog at least? Okay. <laughs> You're totally going to kill this whole thing if you don't go along. <laughs> so here's the deal. Dogs and cats. Let me just explain. So our dog, his name's Hero. Okay. He's about this big. Uh, and you come in the door of the house, and if you come to our house, if anybody's been to our house, I'm sorry, first of all, but you, you, if you sit down on the couch, you are fair game for this dog. This dog will jump up on you. He comes to you. He's licking you. He's just all in your business. For us as family members, uh, he just, he's always in your face. He has to like lick to find out where you've been, I guess, and smell. And then whenever you lay down and you're sitting, he has to like lay like right on top of you right next to you, I love him, like, with the love of the Lord or something, I don't know. <laughs> the way Jesus loves sinners, that's how I love my dog. Uh, so, but yeah, but he's all up in your business because he loves you so much, okay? You are, and he's like, you know, you are such a great owner that he just wants to be around you and he wants to show his love to you because he's just so excited about how great you are. Dog theology, okay? With God, a dog theology, they, we recognize how great God is, right? We love him for who he is, all right? Now, cats. Cats are different. Cats, I, I, if I had things to throw at my cat, I'm not gonna say I've done it, but you know, a cat, you walk in the door, you're lucky if they're there. Sometimes our cat's pretty good, he'll show up. But he's like, yeah, okay. And he like walks off. And you're sitting on the couch or whatever, he'll come up like and sit down like close to you, like on the armrest. But he, you know, he does his little this thing and he gets all down. Don't reach over to try to pet him. As soon as you touch him, he's like, eh, and like he walks off, right? He's just like there for display, for you to look at him or something. Our cat is really good in the fact that you can pick him up. His name's Bo, by the way. I didn't introduce him. Bo. Hero and Bo. Um, you can pick him up, and then you can, you can pet him and stuff like that. And he just, he, just like just lay, he just goes limp, right? And he just lays there, and you pet him. He's just looking at you like, are you done? Now, cat theology, right? Cat. I am such a great cat that my owner loves me because I'm so awesome. And 
I let him or her pet me because who wouldn't want to pet me because I'm that great? And that's totally what a cat is, isn't it? The cat, you know, they just walk around. They just do whatever they want to do. You can say come, and they'll just stand up and walk the other way. But that's what a cat, cat does. Cat theology, okay, is where, again, we're talking about this whole idea. Remember where you come from. We turn God's affection towards us to be about us. I'm such a great Christian. I, you know, I, I spoke to two people this month about coming to church. And so that's why God's blessing me. He loves me because I'm awesome. And why wouldn't God love me? Okay? Cat theology, dog theology. I'm not going to say we all need to be dogs in here, but we need to have this approach, right? We need to always understand it is because God, our master, our Father, our Savior is so awesome, and He loves us so much when we were unlovable, when we were in sin and in darkness, that He reached in and saved us. And don't ever forget that. Don't ever turn your theology to think that you are so great, that you, you are better than somebody else. Because I promise you, <laughs> humility, I mean, the, the whole thing, the pride goes before a fall, right? you will find real quick, God will get your theology straightened out again. All right, it's always about God. Don't forget where you come from. Point number two, last point, is that, we, that God gives us a promise that he will restore, okay? And what, I, what do I mean by that? When Paul says, uh, he speaks about the righteous living by faith, he's, he's pulling from the book of Habakkuk, okay? And Habakkuk, in 600 BC, all right, I won't, I'm not going to read all, well, actually, let me just read this, this couple verses here. Habakkuk says this, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, all right, think about today, violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. We're living in that, aren't we? We're living in that. And the amazing thing is that, is that God, I mean, uh, Habakkuk goes on these, a few of these rants, right? These just, I mean, rightfully in some sense, this, how horrible things are. But God says that he was going to use a nation more wicked than what Israel had become, meaning the Babylonian empire. These people were bad people. And as wicked as the Israelites had become, God was going to use these people. But this is what he says to Habakkuk. But the righteous one will live by his faith. He's saying, no matter what, you will live and you will serve me by your faith, trusting in me. Fast forward to 50 AD. Here we are in Romans all the Jews had been driven from Rome by Claudius. And in Romans 1.17, Paul echoes this. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. In a time when it is said that we are living in a post-Christian era, many parts of the world are in this now. That Christianity kind of reached its pinnacle or its peak and now has kind of pulled back. 
when it seems that we are losing all the battles all the time, when it seems there is no reason to do anything anymore, we need to remember that the righteous live by faith. Wherever you're at today, whatever you're going through today, live by faith and trust God. Amen. God bless you guys.